Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Blood House, the show where we talk about art house horror. I'm your host, Joshua Conkle. And I am your co-host, Drusilla Adeline, and we are joined by the fabulous, spectacular director, writer, actor, musician, uh, and all-around lovely, lovely person, Zelda Adams. Oh, Yay! that's such a nice intro. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, what an honor. I mean, we could have gone on and on and on because you're also a model, a soccer player, I don't know, an astronaut. What else do you do? <laughs> it feels like you have many hyphens. Uh, how's it going? How are you? I'm good. I'm in New York City right now. It's cold as hell. So mm-hmm. I'm hibernating in my apartment. How are you guys? Good. So did you move to the city? I am actually visiting because I had a modeling job yesterday. So I'm staying in my aunt's apartment, which has been really fun. It's a good escape from upstate New York. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. Listen, I lived lived in New York for like 15 years and I love that city. But when I watched your movie, Hellbender, now available on Shudder, I'm going through like a big cottage core phase right now. (laughs) And I live in LA now, which I also love. But when I watched that movie, of course, it's a horror movie, so terrifying things are happening. But I was like, I wonder what town they filmed this in. It looks so nice. Look, they have a little art gallery there. <laughs> they have a bookstore. Yeah, yes. just, there's very few horror movies these days that make me like open Zillow, but um, yeah, Hellbender it may have done really it. Pretty. Hey, I think that you would like it. The The town that we shot it in and like the area, it's pretty up and coming. There's like a new bakery and a Vietnamese restaurant. So I think you'd like it. Yeah. I mean, if terrible things are happening, at least they're happening in the Catskills or, <laughs> or, or, along, or along the Hudson somewhere, you know, <laughs> like, it looks so beautiful. Um, so are, wait a second. Are you, are you starting school this year or... So I am currently a senior in high school right now, and I've applied to a bunch of different colleges. And this month, at the end of the month, I start to find out like where I'm accepted. So next year, I hope I'll get into some good colleges. Boy, oh boy, that's such a strange, stressful time, I bet. Oh. Well, not I bet. I remember. I did it. <laughs> it was, that's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of days of crying, screaming, and yelling, and uh, procrastinating doing uh college essays and instead watching horror movies <laughs> yeah yeah hmm. I, why does I that sound familiar that. to me <laughs> I, know. I know but i feel like any entrance exam is going to like look over like half of your cv and be like well okay perfect Literally. it's true <laughs> it's true i mean especially if you are going into filmmaking i feel like you have a leg up but i don't know if that's what you want to do do you know what you want to do or you um do you have a plan Sorry to be yeah. an adult about this. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. I never did. <laughs> I mean, I would I would love to go into film because I know that that's what I want to pursue. A lot mm. of people are like, don't go into film. You already know everything. But also living upstate, there's not a lot of people. So I haven't gotten to surround myself with other people my age that are into the same things I'm into. Yeah. So I kind of just want to major in something where I'll like be able to hang out with other people that love the same thing as me. Yeah, I mean, I went to art school um, for theater because back then I wanted to be an actor. But I come from a small town and I was like, how do I put myself someplace where everyone around me is interested in art and culture? And it it was great. I mean, those are some of the happiest years of my life. Um, So, yeah, I feel that. That's great to hear. Modeling has got to be such a good way to make money, too. I mean, it's I just started, but it's it's really interesting uh and and like when I before I started modeling I was like worried about like oh everyone's gonna be jaded and rude and like shameful but everyone I've met has been so nice which I'm like okay keep this up I like it yeah I mean the fashion industry has such a bad reputation for that sort of stuff but I've always found that to not actually be true at all um I really like fashion and um yeah Speaking of fashion, can I tell a quick story? Uh, something Please. demented that happened to me this weekend. Please. So if it's, I appear, it's demented, I want it. It's demented, <laughs> and it involves fashion of a sort. I sit before you wearing head-to-toe Fabletics by Kate Hudson. And the reason is, yesterday, I received a package of $2,500 worth of garments from, from Fabletics. Because... Wow. So... 
in early 2020, when all the gyms shut down, I, I work out, but I'm like not a fitness gay. It's like not my personality to work out. And I don't really care about it or the clothes that come with it. Although I am a clothes horse and I love clothes and style and like looking cute and all that. Anyway, the beginning of the pandemic, I, there were no gyms. So I was like, I'm going to start running. And so I did some research and found that Fabletics by our friend Kate Hudson has a men's line and it's really cute and really affordable. It's like a more accessible Lululemon. Okay. So I bought two pairs of running shorts that I loved. Cut to two years later, I decided I'm trying to save money. So I'm going through credit card statements and I see a $50 charge to Fabletics. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I haven't shopped there in two years. So I go to their website and lo and behold, they have a subscription service that I am somehow signed up for. And I have 20 unused credits for Fabletics. So I was like, shit. So I, I canceled it, obviously. But I had to use these credits. So I, I, it was like two and a half grand worth of Fabletics <laughs> for a hundred dollars worth of shipping. So it felt like free clothes, although I'd been paying for it in increments over two years. <laughs> like, so now I have like two and a half, I have a wardrobe of Fabletics. So I, uh, I'm just wearing head to toe Fabletics every day. I have to get old clothes out of my wardrobe and cycle in <laughs> Fabletics somehow. I feel like Fabletics should sponsor the show at this point. Um, <laughs> It's demented. I, I could barely even find 20 things that I wanted from Fabletics. So it's just like, I guess I'll get five of this. Or you know what I mean? Like now you're set for life. That's pretty lucky. Yeah. Now I Kate, if you're listening, we would like to do a sponsor promotion. Yes. Uh use code word demented. Yes. Enter promo on, code. Uh, Fabletics.com. Yeah. Oh my god, can you imagine if Fabletics was our first sponsor? That Let's be- do it. Kate, so we know you're listening. Iconic. We like Skeleton Key. Let's do it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> How about you, Drusilla? What have you been up to? Anything of note? Uh, I've been, you know, diligently at work. Uh, but I've been, you know, watching more movies, finally getting back into my diet of, like, constantly consuming <laughs> because I have mental issues. Um, but, I mean, well, the thing to talk about is that I finally saw The Batman Oh, and what's your summary? The Batman is very good. Uh, okay. The way yeah. I'm distilling it and selling it to my horror friends who are very burnt out on such things, which like justifiably so, um, is everyone is marketing it as like this is like if Zodiac and Seven were done with Batman, and while that might be partially true, it's more like if Deep Red was done with Batman. Oh, that sounds good. And I feel like that's a bit more accurate and justifiable, and it's bonkers and so, like, 15-year-old emo um, in a Mm. way that I deeply, deeply connect to. (laughs) Oh, hell yes. I thought it was a lot of fun. Paul Dano is amazing. My boyfriend. Um, Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I have not like gone that hard in on a Batman movie since I was a child watching Batman forever. So it was good. I have not hooted and hollered in a theater that much since seeing Benedetta. (laughs) Zelda, did you see the Batman yet? No, but like ever since the trailer came out and something in the way by Nirvana was the song in the trailer, I was like, all right, this is going to be like my new favorite movie. I'm going to go it's back. It's in the movie multiple times. Oh, I need to watch it so bad. There's all I... of these scenes where you get Moody Robert Pattinson <gasps> with his messy black bangs. Oh and God. he's wearing all his eyeliner from being in the oh. bat suit, but it's sweaty and smeared down because he's been in his leather-clad bat suit all day. You're killing he's me. sitting in his, like, goth Charles Adams-designed apartment oh with all God. of these gothic archways. And he's brooding like David Boreanaz and Angel over all of these criminal case files, listening (laughs) to something in the way by Nirvana. And I just got sent straight back to 1998. And oh my God. That song does things to you. Yeah, that's a great yeah. song. I, I don't really like superhero movies very much, but I have to say I'm feeling the the marketing campaign for this movie. I mean, mm-hmm. everything about it is sort of calling to me. Um, yeah, I probably will see it. I haven't seen a superhero movie since probably Wonder Woman, 
like Ooh, years yeah. ago, the first one. And um, yeah, I saw that by accident because somebody was like, let's go to the movies. I want to see this. And I was like, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm not There's a big an fan. overwhelming amount of superhero movies now, but something, if you are into like the Batman marketing, you should see the photo shoot that Robert Pattinson did with GQ. I think it was incredible. Mm. Oh, what is it? Um, did you see it, Drusilla? I, I think- did. Yeah. It's it just weird and horny. It's just weird and horny. Yeah, and they're very colorful, and they do have a lot of plays that, like, the colors of the Joker, like, a lot of purples, reds, and greens, and, like, they spiked his hair. Oh, I saw the – yes, 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 I saw that. That is – that was really cool. I did feel like the Joker a lot. Um, Yeah. He's obviously such a beautiful human being, Um, and uh, I've heard that he smells bad, but that's okay. I mean, it's part of his charm, you know, like he's a bohemian. I love that he and Kristen Stewart have both like escaped the Twilight universe and done like these really cool things with their careers. It's sort of like they, they got a ton of money so that they could be like, now I'm just going to do whatever I want for the rest of my life. And that's such a brilliant move. Yeah, when he did the lighthouse, I was like, "What is this? I love it." <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, God, I love that movie. Um, well, speaking of movies, let's talk about Hellbender, which is now available on Shutter. Uh, written by, directed by, starring one Miss Zelda Adams. Um, you make movies with your family, which is incredible. You and your and both parents are listed as writers, directors. Uh, your dad has a cameo in the movie. You and your mom star in the movie. Your sister's also in the movie. When did this start, you all making these Adams Family movies together? Yeah, so this started when I was six years old. So that was like uh, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom has been an actress forever, and we lived in L.A. for a bit. But then she stopped getting work around like when she hit her 40s, which is really unfortunate. You know, yeah, Hollywood yeah. is like, oh, you're 40? Uh, you're done. Gonna... Yeah, which is ridiculous. Um So, you know, instead of waiting around to get a job, uh, my parents were like, why don't we make our own movie? Toby, you're a fantastic writer. Uh, John loves, you know, cameras and behind the scenes stuff. So they came up to Lulu and me, my sister, and were like, hey, what do you guys think about being in a movie? And Twilight had just come out. And I was like, I want to be, you know, the next Bella Swan. So I was like, yeah, I want to be in a movie, please. Like, let's do this. So... We made our first film in 2009, and then since then we've made seven. And uh, wow. yeah, our first four films were dramas, but then, you know, if you don't have Brad Pitt in it, it's a little hard to get traction. So sure, yeah. ventured into horror and figured out how much we love it so much. Yeah. And here we are. It's so cool. I mean, I, I play Yahtzee with my parents, so I'm like quaking with jealousy, <laughs> crying, throwing yeah. up, shaking. I love my parents very much, but um, I th- I just think it's so cool. And and of course, you're also talented, so that's part of it. Your mom is such a great actress, and your dad was really good in his um cameo as well. And I and I he's the editor, right? Yeah, he's he's a great editor. Um, for Hellbender, he was like, just kill me off right in the beginning. And I I just want to edit it. (laughs) Well, I have to say it's one of the things that elevates the movie so much is, um, a lot of, cause you you don't have like a budget, right? You're just calling in favors and just using whatever you have on hand. One of the things that really elevated it is the editing. It's so, um, it's very professional and, and, um, impressive. And it just, it, it's, it doesn't feel like a movie that was made for nothing. It feels like a real I mean, all movies are real movies. I don't mean to sound no, so snobby, no, but it feels like it has a substantial budget. It feels expensive and, and well thought Thank out you. and executed. Josh, um, do I have to ding you for saying elevated twice? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm putting a quarter in our elevated horror jar. Uh, we'll all be going to Disneyland <laughs> because we use the word elevated too much. It's a, it's a banned word on our show. Um, yeah, I mean... How did you make this movie when you, when it says you're all three, the writer or all three, the director, what is your process? So it normally starts with one peculiar little idea and then we bring it to the team and then we all start just like slinging spaghetti ideas and some, you know, hit the wall and stick some, you know, drip away and they're poof, they're gone. But then like this beautiful story starts to mold and 
Uh, I can't remember a day that we haven't been making a film. So we always just start. And we yeah. normally make a lot of mistakes in the beginning and like, are like, all right, uh, let's go shoot this again. And then we shoot it seven more times. But eventually we start to understand the story and our characters a lot more. And we normally shoot things like when we will have breakfast, uh, talk about what we want to shoot today, and then we'll go out and shoot it and shoot it many times three different ways since we all are three directors and have mm -hmm. different ideas. And then go home and put it in the computer, see how it looks. And if it looks good, we don't have to shoot it again. But if it doesn't, we have to go shoot it again, <laughs> which, is, which is lucky because we're a family. We can just do it that day sure. or the next day. That's so interesting. It's a real lesson to filmmakers, I think, that you just like can't wait around for money or approval. You just have to get out there and and do it. Um, yeah, it's such a it's such a cool process. Uh, do you ever like get into fights or anything like that? I mean, do you ever battle for supremacy over who's yeah. going to get their vision in the movie, or is it? I that's a good question. I think in, most of the time it's a fun competition when we shoot things three different ways. Like, oh, I think my angle is going to be better and the one that we're going to use. And then when yours does win, you can, hey, who's the, who's the best today? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, fun. it's not really aggressive. Or yeah. is it? <laughs> you shot this one during pandemic, right? So you had to like follow all these weird safety things. We did. The opening scene was the only one that was shot before COVID, which is lucky because that was the biggest That's amount. That's the group of scene. Yeah. And then COVID started like a week after that and it was shut down. And we originally had this bigger idea where Izzy was going to have like a partner or romantic interest and like there was going to be a school involved. And then... That was like way too big and COVID came around, slapped us in the face and was like, yeah, that's not happening. So <laughs> yeah. it just put us back on a small scale. I mean, I wouldn't have noticed except that I was, you know, researching the movie um, after I watched it. And I, and I, you know, like I saw that the character, your sister was not in your safety pod because she's away at university or something in real life, not in the movie. Mm -hmm. And so you're seen with her at the pool, her character, you're like socially distanced from each other. But it's such a, it feels really natural. I only know that it was like safety protocol because I, I read that. Um, it's so clever the way that you did that. I mean, did you have to have like um, a lot of testing or like, was there like weird precautionary stuff that you had to do? This was like when testing wasn't as abundant yet. Um, yeah. We saw this pretty early on in COVID. So when we were shooting together, I like I was and I still am a bit of like a COVID freak. So yeah. I was like, sorry, Lou, like I'm not getting close to you. And, like the times that we did, like when I hand her the gift in that one scene, we're both holding our breath, like making that yeah. shot like, as soon <laughs> as possible. My sister hated me by the end of that, but it was worth it. Nobody gets <laughs> you know? Yeah. How long did you, what was the timeline of this movie? I mean, how long did it take to shoot, edit and all that? It, it took around a year since we shoot within all the seasons, but luckily we shoot as we go. Uh, yeah. That's one of the fortunes that we can have as a family. Um, yeah, we just shoot as we go. And then we normally try to finish it by a certain date so that we can make uh, a bunch of the festivals. Like that's our favorite part of the filmmaking process. Yeah. And so this is um, on Shutter. Did you get that through like the festival circuit? Then. We right when we finished our film, we brought it to this group called Yellowvale and said, "Hey, we want to work with you. You're a great team. Um, what do you think?" And they, automatically they welcomed us and then uh, hooked us up with Shutter pr pretty much like right off the bat. And it was so great. It was like we almost we pooped ourselves. We were like, "What's yeah. going on? This is ridiculous." Shutter is Yellowvale is the bomb, and I just have to say I adore Yellowvale. Yeah. They do such amazing yeah. work, and they are right. constantly digging out and like searching out the best like indie horror stuff going on right now. So massive love to oh, them. I adore you. them. And it's yeah. so great that we got to have a connection with you through it all. Like Drusilla did our poster, and when when she did, we were just like, "Are you kidding?" Like. That's, that was better than we ever could have even imagined. Yeah. Drusilla's um, exceptionally talented. Um, yeah. Everyone knows it and we should all say it. And uh, it's true. Um, well, congratulations. Sorry, I, I died from compliments. I'm not, I'm not alive anymore. <laughs> you deserve it all. <laughs> uh, congratulations. It's a, it's a remarkable achievement. I think Hellbender joins mermaids in the pantheon of great mother daughter movies. 
you should all go watch Hellbender <laughs> on Shutter now. Uh, Thank you but... for getting your share plug in for the day. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> do one every week. Um, but this week we are talking about the movie that Zelda chose for us. It is from 2016 when it premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. It's by director Julia DeCorno. It is raw. Uh, why did you pick Raw? What's your relationship to this movie, Zelda? So one day in New York City, when Raw was a re- released, my mom and I were just like walking around. And one of our favorite activities is to just go into a movie theater and watch a movie that we know nothing about. We were like, oh, Raw, that seems cool. Let's just go in and see what it is. And that was the best ex- experience with my mom and in going to see a movie because we walked in knowing nothing and then left uh, feeling uh, a whirlwind of feelings, the most shock that you can ever feel. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are your guys' thoughts on Raw? Drew? I, I love Raw. Uh, and I love that you chose that to talk about because the like DNA of Hellbender and the DNA of Raw are like kissing cousins. Like yeah, you're very right. connected. Um, and I can definitely see both of those kind of like intertwined together in a really beautiful way. I, Oh God, when did I first see Raw, it feels like something that's kind of been in me for a while. I'm trying to remember when it, yeah. when I was infected with Raw. Um, I had to have heard about it when it was doing festivals because it was getting all of this like buzz for like people are fainting in theaters at this movie. People are puking at this movie. What could this be? I think the new art and Los Angeles made vomit bags. Oh my gosh. When they screened it, which like love, love that. Um, (laughs) very, very Mark of the devil seventies throwback. Um, (laughs) so I, I didn't see it in theaters. I probably saw it on streaming. Um, But like, as soon as it was available to me, I like ran out and watched it because I had been like eagerly awaiting it. Um, And I mean, she was being discussed in the press as being like the heir apparent to David Cronenberg. And I was like, we'll see about that. And they were right. Yeah. She's amazing. Julia Corno is uh, the best. And what she's doing with, uh body horror and the female body is fucking amazing mm-hmm. um but at the same time this movie owes more to like i feel like uh pretty in pink and like <laughs> oh. carrie than it does to sure. like the brood or crash uh-huh. i don't know there's something very john hughes about raw <laughs> yeah I mean, it is a coming of, a coming of age movie, uh, but I think of it in, in terms of Cronenberg. I think of it more as like really early Cronenberg, like Shivers mm. or Rabid. I and love Shivers like, so much. Yeah, Shivers is. We should do that on the show sometime. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm same. I you know I didn't see it in the theaters, but I heard about it from the festivals, and I saw it on streaming. It was on Hulu at first, the way that Titan is now. Um, I think that distributor has a deal with Hulu or something, um, and I really liked it. I still really like it. Uh, I guess I should give a quick synopsis of it um so this movie is about a girl whose name is justina i think yeah justine Mm -hmm. and she is going to college she's going to college for veterinary school and her older sister is already an upperclassman there her parents both met there so it's like a family legacy to go to this school and become a vet Um, her whole family is vegetarian so she's never eaten meat in her whole life until when we get to the school, it's hazing week and it happens every year and they make her eat a raw rabbit kidney, which is vile. And as soon as she does, she starts getting a full body rash and she starts to have these like kind of vampiric ish hunger pains and a desire to consume meat, which, um, 
leads to the revelation that this might be in some way tied to her family and some sort of dark legacy. And it's all very sexual and very horny and, uh, and violent. And, um, yeah, that's about the sum of it and, and, and loosely. Would anyone like to amend that or add to it or subtract it? You nailed it. <laughs> uh, is anybody here a vegetarian or have, have has anyone ever been a vegetarian? Yeah, I have tried to be vegan and vegetarian for a while. My mom's a vegan vegetarian. I'm I'm currently in a period where I'm not vegetarian, but I go in and out a lot. Yeah. I, I tried when I was in the eighth grade to be a vegetarian because I was dating a person who was a vegetarian and it was very in vogue. And all the members of Green Day and Anti-Flag were vegetarians. And I was <laughs> like, you know what? I'm going to be a vegetarian. And then... <laughs> A week later, I was at a Chipotle, and that ended. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty on the carnivore side of things, unfortunately. Yeah, I was. I mean, I'm Southern, so my family is like meat and potatoes. But I tried to be a vegetarian in the 90s in junior high, like during those alt-rock days. And I basically just ate french fries for a year and that's it yeah that's how it is very sick and then i married a vegetarian who's like a militant animal activist we were married for a couple of years uh are no longer married surprise surprise but i would so i was a vegetarian on paper but i would sneak off and have cheeseburgers (laughs) once (laughs) once a month that's incredible (laughs) i felt so weak and i i actually think vegetarianism is is rad and i would love to be a vegetarian i just don't really have the willpower Um, that's why i love raw so much i relate to it i want to be a vegetarian i like the idea of it but god damn it (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> burgers taste good. They are so good. It's like my steaks and burgers are like the thing that I miss most when I'm not eating meat. It's, I just, yeah. I really like red meat and I know that that's the worst, but it's just, it's so good. I can give up chicken, no problem, but that red meat is so hard. Um. Oh, quick tangent. I, I texted this to Drusilla. Um, after I watched this movie like two days ago, um, page six tweeted a picture of Heidi Montag and she is eating a bison heart. She's just like walking down the street eating a raw bison what? heart. <laughs> like it's a churro and uh, <laughs> and smiling and like in workout casual gear, probably Fabletics. And, um, and it says Heidi Montag enjoys a bison heart as part of her raw meat diet. And... I was like, how perfect. This is right in time for Raw by Julia DeCorno. I stepped out of the shower to a, that photo and a text from Josh being like, Raw 2019, 2016, Julia DeCorno. That oh. can't be healthy, right? I mean, oh, hell no. you can't eat raw meat. I That's just- I was, sick, right? I, know, I think so. I was like, I showed it to my friend, and they're like, "Well, lions do it," and I was like, "That's not. A, that's not, we're not a lions, bitch. <laughs> We're not lions." Uh, oh I, so that's like that's sorry that's a tangent i just wanted to talk about vegetarianism for a moment I love it. uh so she's being hazed at this school it's really awful the school seems pretty unappealing to me uh they for their school photo all the freshmen have to be you know grouped together for like a classman freshman photo but then they pour blood on them like carrie and then they have to walk around with these lab coats covered in blood for it seemed like days um, so it's week one of this terrible university. Uh, they're going through hazing. Um, they're meant to, they're made to like crawl through what looks like a parking garage, uh, which leads to like a big drug fueled party. <clears throat> a lot of the hazing stuff is really beautifully filmed. Like the shot of them all crawling on their hands and knees is very eerie and beautiful. Um, I did read, I was trying to read reviews of this and they were all positive except for one person. And I want to get y'all's take on this. One critic said that the movie is all set pieces that are meant to look beautiful, but are kind of uh, empty or shallow. What do you think about that criticism? That's really interesting. I was going to say... I feel like the set design really added to the flavor of the movie. I kind of love the brutalistic architecture. Um, I First of all, because I love kind of ugly things. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that they did that on purpose, and I think it just added to the movie. What do you guys think? Yeah, yeah, I love the color, the cinematography, um, and the look of the movie. I think it's 
very modern and but i also think that like you know slapping a movie like this with the like i mean that's basically a style over substance style over substance which is bullshit because style is substance yes thank you marshall McLuhan. the media is the message um but on top of that like (sighs) style is the best I don't care if there's no substance, but also there's so much fucking substance. (laughs) All of the style is backing it up. And additionally, this kind of like French hyper stylized filmmaking style jumps back to the 1980s cinema de look movement that like Jean-Jacques Binet was doing with like Moon in the Gutter and Diva Mm. and Betty Blue. And those movies got hit with the exact same uh, flags all the time. Uh, and they're wrong. That style of filmmaking is the best. I'm obsessed with it. Me too. You need to have style to emphasize your substance and vice versa. And that's exactly what this movie does. It I comments like- on the beauty and the ugliness of herself. And at the same time, and the whole movie is about female sexuality in the way that it's, you know, perceived as being monstrous. Oh, that's yeah. such a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's a particular kind of person and crit, not just critic, but just person who wants a movie or anything really to just be stripped away of all of its artifices and supposed pretenses. I'm not that kind of person. And Drusilla, I know that you're not either. I like style, but there's like a particular kind of intellectual viewer who's like never going to like Wes Anderson or Tim Burton or mm-hmm. somebody like that. You know what? They want everything just stripped away and, and sort of minimalism, but make it movies. So here's a tangent, um, but it's important and connected to this. Last night, I showed a friend Cecil B. Demented for the first time. Okay. Which, if you don't know, is John Waters' film about guerrilla filmmaking taken to the like utmost degree of guerrilla warfare. Uh, it's a delight. It's great. And the entire time I watch that movie, I'm just like, ugh, I want to do that. I want to be in Cecil B. Demented's crew. I'm obsessed with that. I want to make out with Michael Shannon with a fastbitter tattoo. Um, this is all <laughs> amazing. Uh, I just want to be uh, goth Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, perfect. <laughs> awesome. But the thing that I always forget about in that movie is that Cecil B. Demented's whole thing is destroying cinema artifice and stripping back style and getting like neorealist style filmmaking with these crazy like explosions and stuff and stuff like that. Um, but that's movies I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't like Cassavetes that much. I don't like those things that are all like strip bit back, get mm-hmm. naturalism. Dog get made 95 kind of thing. Yeah. I don't like that kind of stuff. And so it's weird that I love that idea and I love that like rambunctious, like fuck you kind of filmmaking. But the, I mean, the opposite side of things is like John Waters movies aren't like that. John Waters movies are hyper stylized and over the top. Yeah. Even his early stuff that he was shooting in his backyard. Like, yeah. When I was writing plays really earnestly, I had a tough time because my plays were really stylized and, um, an aesthetic and what was in style was like really quiet naturalism, you know, like a family is on vacation at the lake house and a secret comes out, you know, like that kind of play, which is not what I was interested in. And my point was always like, even though that's sometimes called realism, it's not realistic because you don't actually experience life that way. The way that you experience life inside of your body and mind and heart is incredibly stylized. You know, time slows down and it speeds up. And um, I think that's actually much more honest to the to our lived experience um, as people. But yeah, uh, but I'm I'm getting I'm losing myself. Um, but to Zelda's point about the sets, I loved the setting of the veterinary college because there'd suddenly be a shot of like a horse on a treadmill, or there's a shot where <laughs> she goes to see her older sister, and her sister has her full hand and arm up a cow's butt. Um, <laughs> I I really loved it. Um, there's a scene where all the students have to give a horse ketamine, and then. I don't know. They're like, put it on a gurney, which lifts it up. And it's so cool and interesting. I forgot actually that ketamine was a horse tranquilizer and not just a drug that gay men do at nightclubs. (laughs) 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 Um, I don't know. Did you, did you guys, what did you make of this school and of the setting? And, and I don't know, in terms of symbolism or, or anything like that, I thought it was so interesting and beautiful. I think that the title has so many meanings behind it. It is 
you know, a lot about raw meat and raw sexuality, but also just the entire like visuals and what happens within it is so raw. The setting is so raw. It felt really real to me. I was like, okay, this is not like some glorified made up campus. This has dirt and it's gritty and um, it's gray. Yeah. And just like watching like how they dealt with the horse. I was like, I've never seen this in my life. This is how like vets do it. What? Yeah. And just like, it, it made me feel, oh my God, it, it put a lot of like, uh, it made me realize how realistic all that was. I was in shock. I loved it. Yeah. It's such a beautiful movie. I don't know to what extent this fits in the legacy of like French extremist horror movies or not. I, I'm Drusilla. Maybe, you know, I don't really know a lot about that subgenre. Um, yeah, I haven't seen a ton of them. <clears throat> I need to, I need to see martyrs and high tension, like. I'll do it one day, but you know my opinion on <laughs> yeah those uh, early two thousands torture porn films. Oh. I yeah, I, I eat, can't do it. Not yeah, a fan. Yeah, we're not fans. Yeah. Really. We talked about that last week. <laughs> it's just too much. It's it it's is. entirely too much, and I don't think I think that this movie is very much like following off of that. It's very much a movie that came out ten years after that craze died down so yeah. it still has it still plays into some of those audiences however i don't think from a filmmaking perspective that it's rooted in those whatsoever i think more from a marketing perspective they were able to like it was able to do better because of that um but like i said from a filmmaking perspective it owes so much more to um david Cronenberg and um oh god what was the other one um there was something very specific that I thought of and then I forgot about. Um, uh, John Hughes? Give well, yes, yeah, John Hughes, very <laughs> much so. Well, the the other thing about that that I find really interesting was that I read an interview with Julia DeCorno, um, where she said that she didn't like the fact that this movie was marketed and discussed as a horror film. Hmm. Wow. Interesting, right? It is interesting. Yeah. She said that it was more of a coming of age film and more of a comedy. You know what? I <laughs> love her. I think I love her. I love her too. I don't know about the comedy aspect. I and I, in fact, I think one thing I've noticed about French people is that they're not funny <laughs> as, compared to, <laughs> as compared to British people or Americans or Australians. Um, I mean, they think that what's his face is like the height of comedy. Um, Oh, I can't remember his name. This old timey comedian that they love that's American. Um, <laughs> oh, do they I love mean, Jerry Lewis? Jerry Lewis, thank French you. French love Jerry Lewis, yeah. Um, I've I never mean, seen I a good can... French comedy, but sorry, it's all good. That's a good point. I don't think I have either. No, because there aren't any, but go on. <laughs> you should see Fan Fan La Tulip. You should, there's good okay. French comedies. Okay, Drusella. That's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I like being stubborn, though. I mean,. <laughs> I mean, some of the comedy is pretty dark, though. Like when her sister's waxing her and it gets stuck. I was like, "That's true." I'm, You're right. I'm cringing so hard. I actually need to laugh because I think I'd be so in pain. I'd be laughing in this situation. It was so fucked up. That's such a good scene because there's so much horrible stuff in this movie, and the, arguably oh. the most squeamish moment is when her sister is giving her a Brazilian wax. So there's like a close up of her privates in, in, in underwear. So you don't see her, her vagina or anything like that, but she has pubes on either side and she's getting a wax and the wax gets stuck and it's horrible. It's like worse than anything I've seen in saw or hostile. It's yeah. so awful. Um, <laughs> God, that scene is so great because it leads to um, her sister in a weird way, getting uh, losing a finger, which then is the turning point of the movie because her sister passes out from shock. There's blood everywhere. The, the, their dog is lapping up the blood and um, Justine eats the finger. And it's because <laughs> she just like can't help herself. It's such a good moment. And she's snacking on it like it's a Slim Jim. I just... <sighs> yeah. She's, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so good. Um, yeah. And then... It's interesting because her sister wakes up and and knows what's happening, kind of, I, I think was my takeaway, which is such a good um change. It's like you don't you don't see that coming. You think that her sister's gonna be a victim, but turns out her sister is I I think this movie's not super clear on what 
the deal with the family is in my opinion, but um, her sister tries to help her. Um, what is your take on this sort of like family legacy aspect of it? I don't know if we should spoil the ending or if it's even spoilable because I didn't really understand it in a, like a logical linear story line kind of way, but you know, the, the cannibalistic urges seem to be about female sexuality, but there's also this thing about her family, which includes a mom and a dad. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure, I guess what this movie is trying to say. I think you're right that it's talking about like raw female sexuality, but I don't know what it, thinks about that i guess i mean i do think a lot of it is kind of about you know suppressing what is like real and natural to you that's kind of what you know uh it seems like the mom was doing with her daughter justine was making her vegetarian hiding her true nature that she knows is like within their family lineage Mm -hmm. from justine but as as we all kind of know with parent and child relationships like the more that a parent is strict and is going to like keep something from their child, that child is just going to be more sneaky and end up doing it to extreme amounts. Yeah. I feel like that's something there's a lot of potential of that happening with Justine's character. Yeah. The familial lineage connected to the kind of cannibalistic urges in this, which is then like metaphorically tied into female sexuality, uh, reminds me so much of the cat people movies. Oh. Uh, both the 40s ones and then of course the like crazy sexual 80s one um which uh all three of those movies are a delight yeah they're we great we'll have to talk about them at length sometime but the crux of that is that there's an eastern european woman who moves to america falls in love with a straight laced dude and she w- uh would like to express her physical attraction for him we'll say, in a very coded 1940s language, uh, but is afraid to do so because of a curse on her people that uh, when a woman is impassioned, she turns into a panther and mauls to death the person that she's with. Uh, And so she guards herself away, is never sexual with him, and it causes the downfall of relationships and then herself and this, like, creeping paranoia rooted in her sexuality um and they're doing the same thing in raw uh but with a different perspective on it uh in the cat people movies it's very much like this is so bad oh my god she could turn into a panther at any moment we better hope that never happens meanwhile as raw goes on you're like yeah you go get a hamburger all right yeah. Go uh go bite your arm mid sex. Come on. Bite yeah. him. No, no, don't bite yourself. Bite him. Bite him. Bite him. Uh and then what I find so beautiful about the ending and I'll talk about it in vague terms if you want to keep it veiled, but like I said I like I don't think it's that like spoilable. No. I think what the kind of crux of the ending is about for me at least is that like the world at large is always going to see this aspect of your desire and personhood as being dangerous. And, but there is always going to be other people out there who don't see that and are willing to expose themselves and be vulnerable with you, despite whatever perceived danger you might be and actually be earnest and honest with you in a loving manner, despite this, like, idea of monsterhood around that sexuality and that desire. And I think that's what the ending is getting at. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, like, a really beautiful way. Yeah. And what's also, like, the most fucked up shot of the movie <laughs> is the most beautiful thing, and I think it's amazing. And when I first saw the movie and that scene happened, I was so caught up in the visuals of it that I wasn't, like taking in the dialogue um yeah so watching it a second time really helped (laughs) yeah i mean her sexuality is like sort of tied to her monsterdom right like the character is a virgin um when she gets to school and for instance she has this hot gay roommate who we should talk about he is his name is adrian he's incredibly beautiful um and there's a scene where he's playing basketball shirtless and she's watching him and the camera really 
lingers on him, sort of male gaze, gay male mm-hmm. gaze style. Uh, and um, you can't tell if she like wants to fuck him or wants to eat him. You know yeah. what I mean? And they're sort of connected. It could be either or both. And um, the movie sort of makes you as the viewer feel like you said, Drusilla, like you want her to eat these people because it's like sexual and it's like this thing that she's repressing. And then it really ties all of it to sex. And then also there's the other, like the, the, the waxing stuff, like it, like the fact that she can't be waxed feels tied to her monsterdom too. Like there's a scene about her hairy pits about how she can't get this hair off about this rash that won't go away unless she like eats people. Um, yeah. I mean, this is, I guess it joins a legacy of like all kinds of things, including basically witch stories, which is about, and in Hellbender as well, which is like the, the fear of like women's primal sexuality or power. And um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, I, one thing I found really interesting is I was doing research on Julie DeCorno and apparently her, uh, her parents were both doctors. Her mom was a gynecologist and mm. her dad was a dermatologist. And I, I, right when I read that, I was like, wow, this v- very much translates into the films. But also she was saying how it's really interesting when she grew up, how she would hear how her parents talked about just like death and body parts. Like it was like, they mm. were talking about food. It was mm. so like simple and honest and raw. Yeah. And it's so cool how that translates into her films and yeah, I definitely saw that. This movie has a lot of pedigree. It um, premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Um, you know, and it was during a time when you know, I'm using this term in quotes, elevated horror was a thing. Um, do you think that there's a part of me that feels I, this movie is very good and I don't mean any of this as slander. I'm not sure that this movie is any more artful than a lot of movies that were coming out around the time. And I don't know what degree it's premiering at Cannes is based on the fact by the, by, you know, that it's French or by like a young prodigy or um, I, I don't know what I'm swimming around. First of all, do you think the reputation of this movie is earned? Um both artistically and like violence wise, because I was actually based on the reputation. I was, I I didn't find it too violent or shocking personally. Um, So I don't know if that's like coming from a non horror audience. Um, That's a really good question. It makes me think. Um, I think when, when it came out, I felt like I was watching a lot of just like the same horror movies over and over. Like, classic Hollywood films that like were the same story, like Annabelle and the conjuring, all that. I was like, okay, I've seen this a million times before. And then I don't, you made a really good point. Like, does it seem more elevated because it is, you know, a foreign film it's from France and maybe it does. Cause when I watched it, I felt this is so different. You know, the colors they use, the music sounds so different, but is it just cause it's from a different country? I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, Cannes is in France, so I don't, maybe that, maybe I'm reaching, but. But also, like, on the flip side, some really, really dumb, bad American films also open at Cannes. Because Cannes is, yes, it's a film festival, but it's also a film sales market. Mm-hmm. So, like, many things premiere at Cannes. It doesn't mean it's artful and great. It yeah. just premiered at a place to sell a movie to get a distributor. Um, but we always attach that to movies to make them seem more prestigious because look at that French film festival it played at. Ho, 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 ho. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I think from like, you know, an art horror standpoint, everything that this movie's doing from like an artistic perspective is the same thing that Ginger Snaps is doing from an artistic perspective. Well, that's kind of what I mean. Like Ginger Snaps is a good comp. I think that movie Teeth is a good comp. There's a lot of mm-hmm. comps that kind of went unnoticed. And so I guess I'm just kind of questioning why this one didn't when it, there's so many good comps that didn't get the attention. And there's to be totally transparent, there might be a part of me that's just like jealous that this like incredibly gifted young woman got this cool opportunity right out of the gate so uh, that's coloring this conversation too probably i think it's more about the way that the world and audiences have changed um Mm -hmm. and the way that i think distribution has changed since the early 2000s i'm gonna i probably just lean on ginger snaps here as like a reference point Mm -hmm. because like carrie's doing the same shit and carrie was crazy successful 
yeah. both versions of cat people were doing the same stuff and were crazy successful. Um, uh, Ginger Snaps, being a Canadian independent film, like didn't do very well. It played Sundance and then it like was relegated to being like a cult video titles for years. And when I saw it, it was like playing on late night basic cable with this like, here's a weird movie you've never heard of. Here's Ginger Snaps. And it's now kind of reached this kind of zenith of like cult status. Um, but I think the world in the early 2000s, especially in America, versus where we are at, you know, in 2016 and now, uh, with our, you know, American perceptions on female sexuality um, and liberation and and how it's connected to depictions in film has changed drastically. We have a very, very large influx of female directors in the past 20 years. Um, I mean, if you look at all the great female directors of the 1980s, when it came to the early 2000s, they weren't making features anymore. Yeah. They were relegated to making television. Right. Um, and the female led stories and the like edgier female led stories like that, uh, were relegated to independent horror films like may and teeth and things like that. And it's taken a long time for those movies to get those kinds of movies and stories from, and not even horror perspective to get back into, kind of mainstream discussion. Yeah. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with it. And then of also, of course it's French, so it's gotta be artsy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is the first woman directed movie that we've covered on the show. And um, it's, it, you know, you're, you're a woman. I am a queer man. You know, we want to be discussing more women. It's not, it's not, um, there just aren't that many. That's the truth. I mean, there aren't right. as many more movies are directed by men in the, in the history of film, which is incredibly sexist. There aren't as many movies directed by women. So I feel um, like that's one of the reasons that I love Ross so much. And it, maybe it is because, you know, like I'm biased, but I was like, I need to latch onto this film as much as I can because it is a woman director. Yeah. But I, I was doing more research and, you know, a lot of people ask DeCorno, like, what's it like being a woman and a director? And she says it always pisses her off because she's like, my gender has nothing to do with being a director. Like, I'm just a director. And I think that we should separate the two. Making films has nothing to do with, you know, her sex. And I thought that was really interesting to read because I get that yeah. question a lot, too. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't really yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can understand. Somebody said to me very nicely that this was their favorite queer horror podcast. And I was like, I don't think of it that way, to be honest. I don't, I don't, I, of course, you know, Drusilla and I are both queer people, but I just don't think of that first. <laughs> Frankly, I don't think of my identity in, in terms of basically right. anything. And we don't um, explicitly talk about queer horror films. I mean, yeah, we talked about the hunger and we, you know, we lost over the, people every single episode, but we do, and we really pulled out the gayer qualities of the devils. Um, but like, but you a lot of the movies we have discussed are very heterosexual. Well, that's that's where I was. You getting. could not make a case for audition being a gay film. No, not at all. But <laughs> but but it, it but to. But there is a point I was getting to, which is like at a certain point, there are aspects of your personality that are. For, are front and foremost, whether you want them to be or not. Mm -hmm. and, and whatever she may say, there are a lot of aspects to this movie that I'm not sure a man would have written in or directed that like, there's a scene where she's vomiting in the girl's room. And then a girl next to her says, you know, it comes out easier if you use two fingers. So it's right. talking about bulimia. Um, there's another scene what a horrifying scene um, and something that people were very afraid of in the uh, 2010s, the 2000s and 2010s, um, where she finds that there's been a video made of her at a party doing something really upsetting that's been going around school. Um, I'm not sure that a man would have written those into the movie. Or That's or such a good point. That is so, that's such a good point. And like, even like the scenes with the sisters, I was like, I've never seen sisters really accurately represented in film before. Like 
peeing on a rooftop together and laughing. I was like, "This is my favorite please. scene. I loved it." So there's a scene where they're she and her sister are on the rooftop, and they decide they're like having a, a pissing contest, literally, <laughs> where they're peeing standing up, and so they're like, "No, just stick your, you know, thrust your pelvis out and like push really hard." And so they're like drunk and pissing on themselves on the roof, and it just feels so weird, but but also truthful and intimate and and realistic yeah Yeah, it's so good um well anything else we want to say about raw before we get into have they seen it i have one final comment and that is ever since i've rewatched it i have been listening to the band ortiz since because they are uh, a french uh sister goth rap duo who uh are they the ones who songs... do that song that she's listening to on her headphones yeah when she's getting ready for the party yeah that's yeah. a really great song it's a great song and i have become obsessed with their uh 2013 album sex tape since mm. then um also a twin a french twin sister goth group that their album is called sex tape and they frequently market their work with like pseudo incestual lesbian like photo shoots it's very odd and interesting and but it like right on the money for this movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really liked the use of that song yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, they're amazing i love them so now we play have they seen it the show where we speculate wildly whether notable figures have seen the feature that we're talking about um i'll go first I want to know if Fabletics founder and CEO Kate Hudson has seen <laughs> Raw. Hmm. I don't. I don't think so. But I think that there's been many nights when she's at home in her gorgeous, gorgeous house, which I assume has a lot of glass. It's in Venice, and it's made of entirely of glass. Yeah, uh, where she's there late at night. She's on her second glass of white wine. Uh, <laughs> And she's flicking through Hulu, and she probably saw the thumbnail key art, which is a gorgeous poster. Yeah, uh, beautiful. And thought, maybe tonight, and then decided, and then as soon as it opened up and she saw that it was going to be subtitled, she probably went, mm, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm too drunk to read subtitles tonight. See, I feel like she was at Cannes that year, but just didn't see this movie. <laughs> also possible. Yeah. You know what? I think that she's going to see it after listening to this podcast and giving you guys a sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kate Hudson, where are? why aren't you sponsoring Bloodhouse yet? Kate Get Hudson, you would love Raw. Sponsor <laughs> Bloodhouse, you coward. <laughs> <laughs> uh Z- uh zelda do you have anyone absolutely i was wondering if queen elizabeth would have watched raw oh my god I <laughs> oh my god shocked you know a lot of people think that she's secretly dead right now no. I, i've been encountering this because her she's in poor health i'm not sure if that's true i i know that she hasn't seen this i think it would kill her absolutely if she did <laughs> i'm just i'm just imagining whenever they do have like a royal premiere of a british film like whenever there's a new james bond movie or something they always have like they show it at a beautiful theater they have the royals come out and they kiss the hands of the actors and they meet them and all that stuff and then the royals sit in a box and they watch the movie from there maybe with like pierce brosnan or someone there with them yeah and i'm just trying to imagine the queen watching this movie and then afterwards having to walk down the aisle and shake the hands of Julia DeCorno and all the actresses from the film and look them in the eyes after. Do you think that the queen ever just like watches a movie on her laptop in bed? <laughs> like we do. <laughs> like, I can't imagine that somehow. I don't think she knows how to use a laptop. Like I can't I imagine think her that's pretty logging into Hulu is like absurd to think about. Oh my god. Why do I want to hack her account now and see like what she's been watching? What if she's only been watching like the Queen? <laughs> Let's see if the tea is real. Like... Yeah, she's like watching Spencer starring Kristen Stewart. <laughs> With a huge bucket of popcorn. Oh yeah. <laughs> I like to think that Queen Elizabeth has a massive Laserdisc collection still, and that is her preferred <laughs> format. She has not changed since the late 80s. 
She has I, a laser disc of Tootsie, and that is her favorite movie. I feel like, oh God, she would love Tootsie. I, I, bet. Uh, I think um, she's somebody who likes yeast on her popcorn, which I like a thing that I, I do not like. I'm a purist. I like butter. I like salt. And that's it. So when people are like, put a little Parmesan on there, put some chili peppers on there. I'm like, get the fuck out of here with that. Popcorn. <laughs> I don't think so, honey. Popcorn is popcorn, butter, salt. That's it. <laughs> that's true. That's true. That's true. I also look down my nose at people who eat kettle corn. However, yeah. I'm about to say something that will get me potentially permanently thrown off my own podcast. Um, when I am at home uh-huh. and no one is around to watch me and I am in my shame, I will typically have a bowl of popcorn and watch a movie and then bring out a bottle of hot sauce. To put on the popcorn? To put on the popcorn. I love hot sauce. I have hot sauce in my bag. I do not. I do not put it on popcorn. It like, you have to eat it it quickly because it will like, it it will dissolve the popcorn. Oh Uh, no, Drusilla. Oh no. The worst, the worst thing is that it will occasionally sneak a bottle of Tabasco sauce into the New Beverly. Uh, oh my god quentin tarantino are you listening <laughs> someone arrest this woman and it has a smell like it does I don't know. it's still, it's it's amazing you, i'm no, honestly i'm getting hungry thinking about it you're it's a new bev every week so there that means that potentially there are dozens of people in la who are like this crazy woman pulled out hot sauce at the yeah. new bev <laughs> and started putting it on her pop i think if i smelled it i'd be like girl can i have some please yeah. it's well, great it's, it's it's it would like make me want buffalo really cauliflower good. or something, but not yeah. popcorn. Ugh. Um, great. Drusilla. So, I have someone in mind. I think we've already mentioned him on a previous episode. We mention the same people every week, so that's not a surprise. <laughs> However, this person is more relevant to this episode than anyone before. I would like to know if... <laughs> Uh, if new wave icon and man we love to hate Morrissey has seen Raw. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I mean, he has an album called Meat is Murder. Like, famously, I think he he watched this thinking that it was going to be like um, a uh, vegetarian propaganda film, I think. I, I, think he's, I think he watched it and I think he probably liked it. But he's coming from the wrong angle. He's going to be like, "This is a this was made by PETA to be a vegan propaganda film." Uh, I don't know. I wonder what he would have thought of the soundtrack. Would he have liked it or looked down on it? Been like, they should have used my stuff. Like, I, <laughs> I think he. I think he's like a man in his fifties who pretends to like new music but doesn't really. Yeah, like, I'm right on the precipice of being this age. I'm like. 10 years younger than this but there's a lot of people like gen xers who are like oh i love uh rap music and it's like no you don't come on (laughs) i feel like he's one of those people (laughs) i see now i just want to see a fan cam edit of raw scored to like there is a light that will never go out or something or like cemetery gates yeah that'd be good (laughs) you guys i live a block away from PETA's world headquarters in echo park and so there's always we start dropping off copies of raw (laughs) we should it couldn't hurt um there's always like a big billboard above there and they're always really hysterical to me even though i appreciate the sentiment like one is um one is like a sea turtle swimming and it says was her life worth your fish fillet? <laughs> and I was like, I, first of all, I think it's for some reason it's so funny that the turtle is gendered as female <laughs> because it's like surprise. You thought only men could be turtles. The teenage mutant ninja turtles were women the whole time. <laughs> it has the feeling of like women can be doctors. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's a turtle. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we should like drop off copies of Raw at PETA. I, you know, more I female filet fish sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> we need women turtles. We need women turtle representation. Um, folks, I think that's it for this episode of Bloodhouse. Uh, you can watch Hellbender on Shutter now. Um, Zelda, where can people find you if you want them to find you? If not, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, please find me. I am on Instagram at zelda adams but the two a's at the end of zelda and the beginning of adams are connected so zelda dams thank you so much for having me i genuinely this was so fun 
you both know so much about films and it's so inspiring to hear. Well, Drusilla is like really a brainiac. Uh, I'm yeah, like the dumb, dumb personality. Uh, Drusilla, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at my website, sisterhydesign.com or on Twitter, which I'm never on or Instagram, which I'm more slightly occasionally on uh, at Hyde sister, which is the inversion of sister Hyde. And also you should watch that movie because it's fucking good. Uh, really Josh, good. where can we find you on social media? Twitter, Instagram, at Joshua Conkle. And I'm starting to get into Letterboxd, which I've had for <gasps> years and have never You used. finally have a... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, I'm on Letterboxd as well. Yeah. Follow me on Letterboxd, guys. <laughs> so I'm starting a Letterboxd, so you should follow me there. And then you can follow the show on all the socials, Bloodhouse Pod. House is H-A-U-S, like Bauhaus. And you can email us at bloodhousepod at gmail.com. Drusilla, what are we watching next week? Uh, and next week, we are taking a track to Europe and we are going to fill out some rental applications to join Roman Polanski in The Tenant. Bum, bum, bum. All right, thank you so much. See you all next week. Bye-bye. Bye.